Shut up, Superman! You're not my real dad! I'm Tom Panneries, and this is Origin Story. Who are you? Why are you like this? Like what? Like how you are! Who you are, where you came from. From now on, you do as I do. Okay? Hello and welcome back to Origin Story, a podcast miniseries brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm Tom Panneries, and what I've been doing over the course of these 33 episodes is taking a look at the books that I bought from the summer of 1986 until the fall of 1987, which is the first time I collected comics. Our comic this time around is The Adventures of Superman number 429, which came out on March 19, 1987, with a June 1987 cover date and had a price of 75 cents. The cover is by Jerry Ordway, and it shows Superman in the snow fighting a huge guy who looks like he's wearing some sort of power suit, and that villain's name is Concussion, by the way. While Adam Grant pulls at his leg and seems to be wanting him to stop. Much like the previous issue, it's a solid cover from Ordway, whose art during this era of Superman is just tremendous. It's not as explosive as the previous issue, but but you do have to wonder why the kid is holding on to his leg and trying to get him to stop fighting, so it definitely draws you in. Credits on this one are as follows. Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway, writer and artist. Albert de Guzman, letterer. Tom Ziuko, colorist. Edited by Andy Helfer and Mike Carlin. And Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Although it has to be noted that Siegel is spelled S-I-E-G-L-E instead of S-I-E-G-E-L, and Schuster is spelled S-C-H-U-S-T-E-R instead of S-H-U-S-T-E-R. Plus, Schuster's last name is only given, so it's Jerry, Siegler, and Schuster. I can now hear Rob and Shag screaming for Brenda Pope to save them right now. Anyway, our story is called Old Ties, and it opens with Superman spotting a Concorde in trouble as its engines are on fire and is headed to crash right into the middle of Metropolis. He grabs the plane and manages to set it down on the water. Meanwhile, in another building, a group of people in robes known as the Circle plot against Superman, declaring that he needs to be eliminated. One of them says that he will take care of it and takes off the robe he is wearing and armors up, declaring that, that, I will be the first to reveal the true nature of our strengths. For humankind, I am no longer Stula. I am Concussion. The Circle then decides it will reveal itself and act more overtly. Superman flies back to his apartment building, does a quick change into his bathrobe, and is just in time to have Cat Grant knocking on his door. Clark answers, and Cat proceeds to go right into his bedroom, grab his suitcase, go through his clothes, and pack for a ski weekend, including grabbing a hideous Cosby sweater. Clark tries to protest, but that doesn't work, and several hours later, they are at a ski lodge and sitting in a gazebo looking up at the stars. After some conversation, they start to kiss, but are interrupted by a pack of cross-country skiers, and then Clark asks her if she wants to grab dinner. 
at dinner where Clark is wearing that hideous sweater from earlier, we see on the Expositional News Network, copyright Michael Bailey, that Joseph Morgan of Monarch Studios has been subpoenaed to appear in court to testify regarding a connection to the underworld, which included giving drugs to various celebrities. Clark notices that Kat seems tense, and Kat says that she and Morgan were once involved, and she also reveals that he is Adam's father. Not only that, but after they broke up, Kat went out with a number of different guys, and that came back to bite her in the end because Morgan sued for custody and not only got full custody of Adam, but also convinced the court to not allow Kat to see Adam at all. Clark changes into Superman, thinking that he'll try to find out if Morgan actually has a connection to the mob and wonders if that, if that will help Kat at all. <clears throat> He flies back to Metropolis into Morgan's building where he approaches the movie mogul, all the while not knowing that Concussion is following him. Superman tries to convince Morgan to allow Kat to see Adam, but Morgan refuses, and as Superman presses the issue, Concussion comes flying through the apartment window and attacks. The apartment is wrecked, and Concussion blathers on about the circle. Superman has very little idea about what he's talking about and is knocked around for his troubles. Morgan is knocked down as well and seems to be having a heart attack. Adam screams at Superman to get away from his dad, and as Superman tries to help the man, concussion attacks again. Superman manages to get the fight to go outside of the apartment, and he and concussion fight through the air in the city with concussion finally falling in the snow in a park. Superman hurries back to Morgan's apartment where Adam believes that the Man of Steel is there just to hurt his father and calls an ambulance. Concussion is taken to jail, and Morgan and Adam are taken to the hospital. At the hospital, Kat pleads with two police officers to let her see her son. One of them says that Morgan allowed her to see him. When she goes in, Adam said, says, Dad said you might come here. You're Miss Grant, aren't you? You're my mother. Kat says that she is, and she wants to tell Adam that she loves him. On the roof of the hospital, Superman stands and wonders why he went to Morgan. I've tried so hard to separate the Clark Kent part of my life from the Superman side. So why did I let them cross over like that, he thinks. Am I Clark Kent, or am I Superman? I've avoided thinking about that in the past, but I can't do that any longer. I need some answers. I need someone to talk to. I need to go home. And he flies off. Now, I have this comic book in digital format from Comixology, and pages two and three are a double-page layout that almost looks like a large version of a Sunday comic strip. It's presented that way, so I have to turn my Kindle sideways to see it in its full glory. It is two panels up top, with one of them being the credits, then four panels, and then four more. Well, three plus an inlaid one. And in that entire sequence, you see Superman catch the plane, fly it over Metropolis, and then do the Sully, Sully landing in the harbor. And it is gorgeous. Ordway is such a great Superman artist, and here he relies on several different camera angles, as well as a couple of key close-ups on both Superman and the plane to set the scene. And to be honest, the plane crash has little to nothing to do with the plot, except that it gives us Superman in action doing Superman things. And since it's drawn so gorgeously, I honestly don't mind. In fact, if there's one quibble I have with anything artwork-wise, it's this sweater that Ordway draws Clark wearing. It's yellow and black and white and has this alternating design of triangles and weird Native American Southwestern-looking designs. Good God, it just hurts my eyes. 
Plus, Cap picked it out for him and had him wear it, which, man, I don't even know who is to blame for this particular fashion disaster. Because if Clark actually bought it for himself, then I hope Lois finds it at some point in their relationship later on and puts it in the goodwill pile right away, or maybe even the incinerator. Speaking of Cat, this is a good issue with her because Wolfman does a great job of progressing her character and making her even more three-dimensional than she had been in her first appearance. In fact, there are a lot of times where I actually like the way he writes Cat Grant more than I liked the way that John Byrne was writing Lois Lane at this point in time. But it's been a while since I've read any of Byrne's Superman, so don't completely hold me to that. But really, we see Cat swoop in in her way to get Clark out of town and up to the ski resort, which is silly, but right out of some sort of madcap romance or movie or television show of the day. And it works really well, especially the way that their conversation in the gazebo outside leads very naturally into a kiss. Well, until they're rather comically interrupted by the skiers. It's interesting, by the way, that Clark never changes out of the costume after he heads off to confront Morgan, and I'm honestly interested to see whether or not the possible Cat-Clark romance is further explored, especially considering that Adam is sort of in the picture again. The Circle is a villainous organization works okay enough. I know that Wolfman would have them as a lurking-in-the-shadows type of thing for quite some time and would more or less conclude their story by the time he left... Uh, with issue number 435. Concussion is the brawn in a very generic big bad villain sort of way, and a lot of this issue is a fight scene between him and Superman that takes them to various parts of the city and causes some property damage. But don't forget, this is a Superman comic, and while we had the plane rescue at the beginning of the issue, I don't know, I still kind of want to see Superman in a fight, right? It's a good fight, too, even if it does completely destroy Morgan's apartment. In the end, we get a scene where Superman is contemplating his own secret identity and the double life that he's leading, and he's wondering if they're intersecting too much. I guess Cat got too preoccupied with Morgan and all that to notice that Clark had essentially ditched her upstate? I don't know if that's followed up on, by the way. But this thought bubble at the end actually makes me miss thought balloons in comics. Uh, I do miss them from time to time. Because Superman in the space of two panels is thinking about whether or not being Clark is conflicting with being Superman. And then he needs to go home and sort things out. It's done succinctly. It leaves enough for open for him and the reader. And it's not like some of those info dumps that you would get in some of the burn issues of the time. Plus, apparently the Fearsome Five are coming in the next issue who are the classic Wolfman villains. So, uh, although they were Titans villains, the Wolfman did create them. So that might be worth the read. Overall, this issue's solid. I honestly don't think I paid much attention to it back in 1987. I had it, I read it once or twice. It didn't register the way it G.I. Joe, the Transformers, and that sort of stuff registered. But I'm glad I looked at it again now, because it was well worth the read. And with that, I'll take a break, and I'll be right back. Play a trailer. Kiss Comics! Hey, Michael! Yeah? We need to do a new promo. A new one? A new one! Why? Because we've moved. Moved? Moved! We've moved to a new place. We still read comics. We do, we still talk about comics. Because you can't do a comic book podcast unless you read and talk about comics, because that's kind of stupid. But now, we have a new episode still available every Thursday, but at twotruefreaks.com. Hey Kids Comics! So remember, Hey Kids Comics has moved to twotruefreaks.com. Still, every Thursday. I'll do on it. 
So I was looking into what happened in popular culture around this time, and while it's about 10 days away, this month does mark the 30th anniversary of WrestleMania 3. This is a huge event held at the Pontiac Silverdome on March 29, 1987. 93,000 people attended, and the main event was a WWF title match between once friends and now rivals Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. But if you ask anyone about that night and what was the best match, to a man, they will probably tell you that it was the Intercontinental title bout between then-champion Randy Macho Man Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. There's a storyline behind the whole fight, uh, basically that it was in the months leading up to WrestleMania, Dragon and Macho Man were feuding with one particular match being of note, which is when Macho Man, quote, crushed Dragon's larynx by throwing his throat into one of the metal guardrails that separated the audience and the ring. So that set up WrestleMania uh, to be one of those well-built-up grudge matches, and, and it added some drama that something about like George the Animal Steel constantly leering at Miss Elizabeth and Dragon bringing Steel with him to ringside. But that's not what made the match great or well-known. It's the actual wrestling that took place in the ring. Now... I will admit that I like WWF wrestling, and I still I realize it's the WWE now, but I came to know it as the WWF in the 80s during the height of Hulkamania, and I'm speaking of the WWF period, so we'll just go with that. But anyway, so the better part of the year, for the better part of a year and a half back in, in the late 80s and early 90s, I was into wrestling, uh, mostly at some point between WrestleMania 5 and WrestleMania 7. So it was a really short window, but uh, one of the cool things about it was going to a video store where you could go to the video store and uh, and part of the original, that wave of mom and pop um, stores, and, and that was my video store, uh, they carried a metric crap ton of videotapes of the WWF. Uh, I think it's because, like, you know, it was in the miscellaneous section, uh, and there was only so much, you know, that was out on video, and the WWF would release these things, and it was all the WrestleManias. Uh, WrestleMania 4 had two tapes because it was huge. Uh, WrestleMania 5 had that Hogan Macho Man match, but WrestleMania 3 for the longest time was the one that we wanted to watch, and it was like always out, uh, but but eventually it came, it came in one time, and we watched it. And the Dragon Macho Man match was the highlight of the videotape, and after realizing that it had been 30 years since the match took place, I decided to see if I could find it online. It took a little Googling. It's not readily available on YouTube in full, but I did watch it, which included an entire match as well as seven extra minutes or so of interviews and commentary. I'm happy to say that 30 years later, it really lives up to its hype. I mean, you've got two guys who are at the height of their game. Everything that made classic WWF matches great. Macho Man walking up to pomp and circumstances, Stance Steamboat walking out to some of the synth music from Rocky, followed by this exhausting match that goes 15 minutes. And Jesse the Body Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon's commentary just adds to it, especially all the complaining that Ventura does about referee Dave Hebner. There are 22 near pins throughout this match. You have Dragon and Macho Man throwing one another out of the ring time after time after time. You have Macho Man landing the flying elbow, which I still think is the best finishing move in all of professional wrestling. It's certainly one of the most gorgeous finishing moves in professional wrestling. It's just awesome to see. And uh, then trying to do it again by picking the bell off the ringside table, only to have Georgie Animal Steel push him off the top rope and get the bell away from him. And then the match ends with this roll-up move that looks like it's coming from whatever is left of Dragon's exhaustion. Now, I haven't watched 20 wrestling in like 25 years, so I can't tell you if anything has come around that's close to or better than this. 
But I will say that I've never been one of those people who looks at wrestling, pro wrestling and sneers, sneers like, well, you know, it's fake. Because even at that young age, I understood the whole idea of, um, I think they call it like kayfabe or kayfab or something, fakery basically in wrestling. But I still loved it. It's like watching a stunt show with a storyline to it. And it's what you get from this match. And making uh, the match even better is this piece on ESPN.com from a few weeks ago, which I'll put in the show notes. It's an oral history of the match. It features interviews or archived interviews from all the people involved, and they really go into how well-planned and choreographed the match was and how the way that Dragon and Macho Man stuck to their plan and their idea made it what it is and how it still has the legacy that it does. I'll try to dig up the video that I watched as well, and I'll post the link to that in the show notes as well as the ESPN speed piece. But uh, I really do recommend checking it out, even if you're not a fan of professional wrestling, because it's a really fun, like, 15, 20 minutes to, to watch. Uh, just really, really great, great stuff. Now, as for the next episode, it's a biggie. Uh, it's going to be around April 7th, I believe, and it's the first episode where I'll be covering more than one comic. In fact, I'm going to be covering three comics in this episode. It will, They will be... Superman number seven, The Punisher number one, and G.I. Joe Real American Hero number 61. So until then, go to the show notes, check it out, send me an email at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com if you want to give me some feedback, or you can go to the Facebook group for Pop Culture Affidavit and leave a comment there. And as always, thanks for listening, and take care.